0: The blue line leaves it. Kale McCarr winds, fires,
1: scar! It's too good to be true, but believe it. Oh, hail, Kale! Now Rubidoux,
0: top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net. What a save made by Philip Grubauer! Just outstanding stuff. I am Grub. And oh. Zadorov smash! <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah. What a bone crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench. Hello everybody out there in Avalanche Land. Welcome into another episode of Avalanche Talk, the Mile High Sports podcast where we talk all things Avalanche. Arif, we've been doing such a good job of keeping this consistent. I'm proud of us. Pat pat ourselves on the back. You and I have made a pretty good team so far here.
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm actually glad we've been doing this. I mean, we kind of missed the day yesterday, but you know, with a one o'clock game on a Monday, it sort of made sense to sort of wait till the end of this Red Wings game to record first, but I'm glad to finally be getting into that groove.
0: Yep, so there you have it. Arif is with me today as always now it's kind of becoming a regular thing and it's gonna it looks like it's gonna stay that way i am jj jerez of course uh we're here right after the detroit red wings game gonna kind of talk about that to start the podcast off looking into the standings ahead of this kind of big break that the avalanche have and then we're gonna wrap up with a quick little convo post game that you had with nathan mckinnon so stick around to uh enjoy that hopefully he says some good stuff yeah i I haven't heard it yet (laughs) Um, so yeah, let's get into that uh, Red Wings game a little bit. I mean, it, it was a, a, an ugly game, I would say, at least the first half of it was. Uh, I guess overall, let's just get something started here What's your overall analysis uh, on the Red Wings game today.
1: It was one of those weird games where the Avalanche put up 18 shots in the first period, but you still thought they weren't really playing as good as they should. Their chances really weren't as dangerous as you wanted them to be. And then the second period came around and they just were firing on all cylinders. Every chance seemed to be a great a opportunity. Jimmy Howard has got like an eight eighty goals, uh safe percentage suddenly was playing the best hockey of his career, it seemed like. But, you know, as the game went on, it sort of got better. And it's sometimes it's hard to wake up for these kinds of games, especially coming out of a game where you're playing the St. Louis Blues, first in the West, and now suddenly you're playing the worst team in the league. It's sort of sometimes it's a little bit harder to prepare for these kinds of games.
0: Yeah, absolutely, especially behind this game. What do you have? You got a long break. You got (laughs) the All-Star break. Then you got the bye week. So there's a chance they maybe started that game looking past the Detroit Red Red Wings, thinking, wow, this is going to be an easy win. We won't have to do too much. In that first period, you could tell they were kind of, I guess, laying back a little. Yeah. You, you saw a little bit of carelessness with the puck. Um, it looked almost like the Avalanche were on a power play that whole <laughs> first period. They were for a good what, six, and a, half six minutes. and a half minutes, but they ran. they dominated the pace of play like it was a power play. They were just getting some pretty good shots off, but it seemed like at first Jimmy Howard was about to have himself a day.
1: Yeah, it really did seem like that. And, I mean, in the end, he still made 40-something saves and had a pretty dang good effort, if you ask me, because, you know, at one point it was 3-1 to one avalanche, and I remember looking at, you know, thinking back to some of the scoring opportunities and thinking it could easily be 7 or 8-1. to one. But, I mean, let's not sugarcoat it. The Red Wings are very, very very weak team. Mm-hmm. They don't have, you know, even when the Avalanche had their bad season, you still had the Duchesnes and the McKinnons and these promising players. You know, the Red Wings have a couple of those but not as many as the Avalanche did. Their defense looks, you know, next to terrible, very federer in like <laughs> if you want to recall the Avalanche in 2017. Um, and they're missing Mantha and Athanasia, two of their better goal scorers. So you take a thin lineup and make it even thinner. So, you know, it's expected that the Avalanche were supposed to sort of run the score and play a great game. You know, granted, Detroit did get those two late goals. But, you know, Jimmy Howard did play a pretty pretty good game, all things considered. And the Avalanche, you know, maybe weren't at their best. But at their best against the worst team in the league was still... Six goals and 46 shots.
0: Right. The Avalanche were absolutely supposed to come in, take care of business. I mean, even the puck line was a minus, I think, 250 at one point. So everybody expected them to do it. At first, it was a little shaky. Good to see them finally getting it done. What I liked most is this was kind of the team that you saw be successful at the beginning of the season, where you had points chipping in from all levels of the team, right? I mean, you had... Matt Nieto getting a couple. You had Nathan McKinnon bury some. You had even Ryan Graves chip in one. You know, all different aspects of the team were looking sharp tonight, except in my opinion, the goaltending. We can get to that in a second. But just talk a little bit about just how how important it is, especially right now
1: when they're kind of shaky, on shaky ground, for all the guys to be pitching in. You know, I've noticed that for the last few games, the Avalanche's ice time has kind of been spread out, which. Not only in seasons past, but this season as well, we haven't really seen that. I know against the St. Louis Blues game, Ryan Graves, of all guys, led the Avalanche in ice time. He played exactly 21 minutes, and none of the forwards played over 20 minutes. So McKinnon was hovering around 19 18-21 was his exact number, and that was tied with Matt Calvert, of all guys. So the Avalanche are sort of spreading that wealth around, trying to get all these other guys you know, to break out of their funks. And we saw a little bit of that today. I mean, Barakovsky had another assist after scoring last game, or he put up two points against the Blues. Rantanen finally puts up another two points. I don't think people have realized just how quiet Rantanen has been. He scored a hat-trick against New Jersey, and then over the next seven games he had one assist, and that was last game. So he had six games without a point after a hat-trick, and now he's got three assists in two games. So he's still sort of finding his footing. But it seems to be coming from all over the lineup. Even Zadorov was on the score sheet. Cole was on the score sheet obviously that Graves goal. So the Avalanche really are trying to work to make sure that everybody gets that ice time and everybody sort of starts to pitch in. Zadorov was almost on the score sheet twice. I mean, you can almost give him the assist on that first Detroit goal, huh? Yeah, that was a very weak play. It seemed, you know... It's funny, I read the Avalanche's uh, game story on that, the game recap, and it said, first goal, Dylan Larkin... uh, I forget what the term was, but you know he skates around behind the net and centers it to Bertuzzi, and I'm like, are we gonna mention the <laughs> terrible giveaway? Yeah. Or? It seemed like Zadorov didn't really realize just how skilled some of the Red Wing players are. And let's face it, you know a player like Bertuzzi, a player like 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 Dylan Larkin are are valuable assets on a on a winning team, and they 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 let him have it. It was a very very weak turnover and even weaker play by the goalie to try to stop it
0: yeah I agree I think Francis definitely could have done something a little bit better there just keep your pad down on the ground I think to stop that all day but while we're on the topic of the defense um, you know this is such a great time to just take a step back look at what's already behind us and just kind of assess overall right and right now I just want to point out, I mean, again, I don't think we're breaking any ground here by saying this, but just the contributions that the defensive guys are having right now, especially in things like rushing up the puck. How often are you seeing a guy like Makar, obviously, Gerard, Graves even, just leading the rush in the puck and even getting shots on goal, chipping in with the point production. I just love what I'm seeing from the defensive group right now. Of course we mentioned the Zdorov turnover you'd like to see Zadorov kind of clean up his game a little bit lately but overall I think what the avalanche are working with moving forward is exactly what they need and especially from an offensive standpoint it's like you have four forwards out there all the time
1: yeah it seems like that and I mean it's coming from you know seemingly every defenseman is having a great offensive season except for Zadorov, uh, and that includes Ian Cole Ian Cole's got 23 points in 44 games he only had 15 a year ago his penalty minutes are weighed down he's sort of taken on that role similar to the rest of the avalanche where it's just go 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 last rush. i checked he's
0: second on the team in plus minus which he's
1: fourth in the league yeah. so ryan graves leads the nhl at a plus 34 then you got a couple defensemen in carolina and then ian cole's fourth he's a plus 24 so It seems like it's coming from everywhere, and it kind of looks like Tampa Bay's team last year where, like, literally everybody is on pace for 40, 50 points. And that's what happens when you have a high-scoring team like this. But I think Jared Bednar really is not being credited enough for what he's doing with this blue line in terms of that offensive production. Because losing Tyson Berry, that was the thing that we were talking about. Hey, McCarr's coming in, but he's a rookie. Can he do it? Well, yes, absolutely. Hell yeah, he's doing it. Sam Girard has picked up his game, especially the last ten to twelve games with all the assists he's been compiling. But Ryan Graves has got nineteen points in forty something games, and he's a plus thirty-four. Ian Cole is operating at a better than a forty-one point pace over a full eighty-two games. And then you got all these other depth guys. You know, Zadorov maybe not scoring as much, but it just seems like everybody has has pitched in and and. Uh, the Avalanche are really using the speed from the blue line, even from the bigger guys like Graves and Cole.
0: Yeah. So let's look back a little bit since our last podcast. You know, we kind of said then that everything needed to be game to game, yeah. right? Game by game. So we're going podcast to podcast. Since our last podcast, the Avalanche actually had a pretty good little stretch. You hate to see the overtime loss against Dallas. Um, I just want to get into a little bit of that briefly, just because it's those central division foes that seem to really be yeah. presenting the biggest problem for the Avalanche. I mean, you look at Dallas on paper versus Colorado on paper, you think that should be a win every day of the week. The Avalanche even had a pretty solid little lead there for a while in that game. What went what went so
1: wrong against Dallas? It what, seemed like it seemed like that game was sort of coming out of a stretch where The Avalanche were playing poorly and losing, deservedly so, and then going into a stretch where they were starting to play better but still losing, and you can tell kind of they were going to jump out of that losing stretch coming out of that game because the Pittsburgh game was very similar. Mm -hmm. Um, What happened against Dallas, they took their foot off the pedal just like they had been over the previous weeks, and it's something that they kept addressing, but for whatever reason, they couldn't really put those words into actions and actually start to keep that offensive stretch you know, power going into the second and third periods. Against Dallas, they led two nothing in the first period. They gave up a goal. It was waved off because of an offside. Back to two nothing. They gave up another goal. It's two to one. Head into the third period. We've heard the story. We've seen it before. Mm-hmm. Luckily for them, they were able to send it into overtime, just like the Pittsburgh game. And then I talked to Ryan Graves after the game, and he sort of he said they deserved to win the game. He said Ben Bishop stood on his head. Just, you know, admittedly Which so. We called. 100%. He tends to do against the Avalanche. I mean, yeah. we
0: saw it today against the Red Wings. Sometimes the Avalanche just make a, an okay goalie look amazing every yeah. once
1: in a while. They have a hard time putting yep. it past them. So,
0: yeah.
1: So, Bishop stood on his head, and Ryan Graves said, we deserve to win this game. You know, I've, I'd i never really heard much of a player saying that after a losing effort outright. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he made a very good point. He said, this isn't going to last forever. And that was the end of the interview. And lo and behold, ever since then, I haven't talked to Ryan Graves yet. Three straight wins: San Jose, St. Louis, Detroit. You
0: gotta love Ryan Graves. Is just he—he's totally like that. He's willing to break yep. outside that hockey player mold. He'll tell you things that you don't normally hear. He'll call people out on Twitter, like we saw him do earlier this season. Shout out AJ. Um, but I—I I think also you—you you, got to mention that that penalty kill was looking pretty weak against Dallas. That was kind of the—the the reason for that first goal, and then. The Matt Calvert, Jamie Benn situation, who saw that coming? You take one of their best players <laughs> off the ice for five minutes late in the third period, and somehow they still manage to come back. That's just unlucky in my opinion. I mean, yeah, you lost the game. They fought hard. They earned that. Dallas fought hard and earned that win. But sometimes you just got to chalk it up to luck.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's funny because I remember during that Dallas game, they held that 2-1 to lead late. And uh, it's usually after the last commercial break of the third period where the media starts to head down to the press room and then get ready to start you know, talking to players after the game. And I made a comment when I got down there because as soon as I entered the press room, Dallas scored and I saw it on the TV in that room to make it 2-2. Two to two, And I made a comment saying this is maybe the seventh or eighth time I've seen the opposition score watching this TV because I kept coming down with five minutes left in the game, and that's right when the Avalanche were starting to blow their lead. So I thought it was really funny that they did it again, then they lost in overtime. Um, But it was just one of those games where, yeah, I mean, that's why Graves said they deserve to win the game. Sometimes it is just bad luck, and that's what happens. I mean, overtimes, it's kind of a coin flip, and it happens sometimes. Ben Bishop made a great save before uh, before, uh, Dallas scored. And it's funny you mentioned the Calvert and Ben play because I remember looking at that and thinking, oh, you know, the Avalanche got one of Dallas's better players off the ice. Right. That's
0: why he didn't want to fight Calvert at first. Yeah. And He's like, I, well, I'm not going to go yeah. off for five minutes
1: when my team's down a goal right now. And then you go check the stats page and realize Calvert has more goals, points, yeah. more goals and points than yeah. him in less yeah. games because that's just the kind of season that's it's been for Calvert and for the Avalanche guys and the kind of season that Jamie Ben's mm-hmm. been having. Dallas doesn't score a lot of goals, but they also don't surrender a lot of goals because – of Ben Bishop and it was just like I said it was one of those games where you can tell when you when you start to lose games that you deserve to win that's when you know you're coming out of a losing stretch it happened against Pittsburgh it happened even more against Dallas and you just knew at that point like enough was enough mm-hmm. at this point we're going to bring it all together we're going to start winning games and you know playing against Detroit it wasn't the best effort but it's Detroit. It was the last team.
0: Well, and then that's why I think you can go to the, the game fo- immediately following the Dallas yep. Stars game. That was against the Sharks. I think there they, they really kind of what we talked about in our last podcast, they imposed their will on that. They really, I think, was a statement game more so than the Blues game just because the Sharks are kind of a iffy team. Sometimes you get a great game out of them. Sometimes you don't. It was important for the Avalanche to just kind of put it. I guess home right from the get-go, and they kind
1: of did that. And, and, you know, San Jose never stood a chance in that game. Not even a little bit. The Avalanche, uh, you know, probably the easiest shutout Grubauer's ever had of his career. Uh, He said after the Dallas game, I remember there was a very frustrated Grubauer in that locker room after the Dallas game and after giving up that game-winning goal saying, we are not playing consistent, and... That's why we're losing. He sort of, he brushed off a lot of the, you know, the critics that were asking him how he felt about his game and sort of said, we just need to play better as a team. Like, don't try to single me out. We are just not playing great brand of hockey. And then after the San Jose game, he said, this was a consistent effort. I didn't really need to do much. And it's true. He didn't, he made 27 saves, but not many of those chances were dangerous. The Avalanche scored the first goal. And it just seemed like for the rest of the game, like you knew they were going to be leading and they were not going to give up this lead. And, you know, that carried over into the St. Louis game, too. They they imposed their will on a team like San Jose, who's lower in the standings, as they should, and it really helped bring them out of that rut that I was talking about, where they were just losing games that they probably deserved to win.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, San Jose is not the team that they were last year, but I think yeah. it's, considering how long it had been since San Jose had seen Colorado, it was nice for Colorado to really say, hey, look, we are the better team here. Yeah. We probably won't be uh, seeing you again this time in the playoffs. So I like seeing that. Of course, we all like seeing the win against the Blues, right? I mean, yeah. that's that's just the avalanche coming out of this rut, I think, right there. That's a living symbol of it. What went so well for the avalanche? I mean, again, right from the get-go, they seem to be kind of feeling it.
1: I said it before, but against St. Louis, they kept their foot. On the pedal Mm -hmm. That was a very very hard checking Fierce battle of a game It was very St. Louis brand of hockey And for the first time this season I saw the Avalanche Who are a speed and skill team Play a physical brand of hockey And they gave it to the Blues at their own game
0: It was interesting And it was refreshing the uh the afternoon game mixed with just kind of the intensity that that game brought it felt like a playoff it game. was
1: very much so i
0: had flashbacks to playoffs it was a
1: very it was very much so that kind of a game and that's the way the avalanche wanted to approach this game this is the team leading you in the standings at the time they were up by 10 points and they were the only team in the western conference leading the avalanche despite all of this losing stretch we're talking about the avalanche are the second best team in the west and still a top 5 or top 6 team in the nhl this is the team that they need to catch. Not only is it first in the West, um, but they're also the defending Stanley Cup champions. They are who you want to beat. They are the, the the best. They are the defending champs. And to be the best, you got to beat the best. And the Avalanche went into that game knowing we have to do whatever it takes to win this game. And they very much did so. You know, They, they played a kind of brand of hockey that you don't see much from skilled teams. Um, and that's when guys like Kadri and guys like Landeskog and guys like Calvert, who, like I said, led the team in ice time tied with McKinnon. That's when those guys come in handy because they can put up offensive numbers, but they can also play a very physical brand of hockey and one that really will bode well once the playoff comes around.
0: Yeah, I mean, you look at the play, the standings as they are right now, and it doesn't really seem like there's much room for movement, especially in the Central Division. I mm-hmm. mean, you got the Avalanche up four points right now on, on Dallas, and then Winnipeg just four points behind Dallas. So, other than that, Chicago is also tied with Winnipeg. Yeah. They don't They don't really seem like they're going to be c- catching them anytime <clears throat> soon.
1: Yeah, no, it seems like right now the avalanche, just like Bednar's been saying all year, even during the losing stretch, I kept asking him, are you worried about the teams behind you? Which at one point Dallas surpassed them and Winnipeg was a point or two behind. Mm-hmm. He said, no, we're looking ahead to St. Louis. Suddenly the avalanche of won three straight. Dallas got rocked 7 nothing by Minnesota the other day somehow. Uh Winnipeg's been losing a lot of games. Chicago's actually on a five-game winning streak, but they were so low in the standings, it doesn't matter. Nashville's still sort of in that mediocre uh, zone where they're just winning some, losing some. So the Avalanche really do just have their eyes set on first place in the St. Louis Blues.
0: It's interesting because I would say those four teams you just named, Dallas, Winnipeg, Chicago, Nashville, all the four that are right behind Colorado. And I think you can even throw Colorado in this mix. These are teams that either come out and just impress the hell out of you or just completely lay an egg. They're so up and down, it's really hard to gauge what you're going to get. I mean, like I said, you can group Colorado into that most of the time, Um, but it's just going to be fun to watch the Central Division. Not nearly as fun as it's going to be to watch the Pacific Division, though. they got a, a really tight race going on over there.
1: Yeah, they got five teams. Vancouver's at 58, the other four are at 57, and they are battling for first, second, third in the Pacific, as well as the two wild card spots. Uh, we don't know if they're going to end up with both wildcard spots. I you know, I do imagine that Winnipeg, maybe even Nashville is going to make a run because they're so far behind in games in hand. They have four games in hand on Arizona. But, yeah, that's definitely a race worth keeping an eye on, and it's something that might be something the Avalanche have to keep an eye on as well because if the Avalanche win the division, they might play that second wildcard team. It might be another Pacific Division team, just like they you know, ended up playing last year in the playoffs.
0: So as it is now, the standings have them playing the Dallas Stars in the first round of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. What do you expect that to look like? Do you think that's an easy matchup for Colorado? Maybe not so much easy, maybe more ideal is the word I'm looking for. You
1: know, it's it's not easy, but it is winnable. I mean, yes, they got swept by the Dallas Stars. Yes, they lost all four games, but like we saw last year against Calgary, they got swept by the best team in the Western Conference, and then they rocked them in five games. And the only reason why Calgary won game one was because Mike Smith stood on his head for the first time since 2012. So, like, um, it's definitely a winnable series. In the end, I think it would be very hard for Dallas to stop Colorado's offense for an entire series, maybe for a game or two. But after that, it would be very hard. Uh, As the season stands right now at 48 games, Dallas doesn't have a single player with 30 points. So they are a very defensive-minded team, and the Avalanche, you know, I would imagine with the coaching and with the skill and the speed that they have are eventually going to overcome that defensive game that the Dallas Stars play and, you know, would would be able to impose their will on the Stars and, you know, win that kind of a series, assuming it gets to that.
0: Yeah, the Stars make you a little bit nervous, but that's the beauty of the playoffs, right? It's one game— You'll come out, and it'll be a 10-goal game. And then the next game, suddenly, it's a, it's a two-goal, three-goal yeah. game. So, you know, just those adjustments that coaching staffs can make from back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back to back to back to back to back sets is always what makes the playoff so unique and interesting. Um, so, obviously, we know that they're going to make the playoffs. Uh, we don't know that, but it's safe to say... It's looking pretty good. So from here on out for the rest of the season, it's going to be more about fine-tuning some things, Mm -hmm. making sure everything is just the way you want it or at least as close to it as possible before the playoffs come. So what are some of those needs that the Avalanche have to fine-tune?
1: Well, for starters, the way that they've been playing the last three games, they need that to continue Mm -hmm. where it's strong on the forecheck, strong on the backcheck, working together as a team. Bedner mentioned many times during those losses that, you know, we don't have a bad defense. It's not like you can look at the Avalanche's defense and say they need to pick somebody up at the trade deadline. It was more the team as a unit. The five-man unit on the ice was not playing well together. They weren't communicating. And against the Pittsburgh Penguins, a veteran team led by the Crosbys and the Malkins of the world, who obviously came back and beat the Avalanche after trailing in the first period and after the second, Bedner said, we lack communication. Some of the better veteran teams in the NHL, they talk, they communicate, and I wish that our team would do that too. So that's all it's been. It's been, it's been a five-man unit that needs to work together on every play and every, and on, on every defensive zone coverage and, and making sure the forwards are back-checking, making sure the, the forwards are forechecking in the offensive zone and really keeping that pressure on. They did a hell of a job of it today. Tyson Jost was phenomenal on the forecheck today. Mm -hmm. So that is not something that they need to fine-tune. That's something they need to continue that they've been fine-tuning over this past week.
0: So that's one of the things I have that they need to fine-tune. Tyson Jost is a perfect kind of segue into that, is just the depth. I mean, we know how important they are to this team, especially when the goals aren't necessarily coming at at the rate we expect them from Miko Rantanen and Gabe Landeskog at the moment. So – Shoot, I lost my train of thought there. The depth guys have been playing well. Tyson Jost, ever since he got that goal against St. Louis, it looks like he's got a little bit of confidence. Yeah. That always happens to him, though. He'll get a, com- a confident for a couple games, and then it fades. But that's totally what we saw out of Tyson Jost today. I mean, I'm pretty sure he led the avalanche in shots on goal. Um, I know he did at least through the first two periods. So you want to see that confident Tyson Jost, the T- JT Confer's, the Matt Nietos. Matt Nieto got a goal today against Detroit. He was a guy we've been saying we're looking for a little bit more from. So those depth guys just need to keep the consistency and their effectiveness going. That's so crucial for this team. Um, So I think that's one of the biggest things that they need to to focus on uh, for kind of down the stretch. Is it safe to say this is
1: the stretch or is it
0: still still too early to call it the
1: stretch? I think it's safe to say that this is a stretch. Um, I think what's sort of been lost in the shuffle of all of this is that the Avalanche have had a pretty hard schedule up to this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have 33 games left in the regular season. They still have one more game against Detroit. They have three against Anaheim. They have two against LA. They have another two against San Jose, two against Buffalo and two against Ottawa. 12 of your remaining 33 games are against those teams that are going to be between draft picks one and like eight teams that are way out of the playoff race. Maybe the only one that might make a run is Buffalo. But other than that, the Avalanche really haven't played these teams. Today they played the Red Wings for the first time. They haven't seen the Senators yet. They haven't seen, you know, they finally saw San Jose the Mm -hmm. other day. They're going to play L.A. in that outdoor game. Uh, So I think that's something that's sort of been forgotten. You know, they've had all their games against St. Louis. Well, four of the five against St. Louis. They've played four games against Dallas. They've played two games against Pittsburgh. They've been playing these better teams. And I think now is the time for them to sort of start to rack up those points and really not let this opportunity be blown to sort of catch St. Louis in the standings and at the same time even if you're playing these lesser teams you need to keep your foot on the pedal you need to use these games to fine-tune like today the power play was struggling and then they started to sort of simplify things they finally capitalized on a goal Um, and that's what you're going to need to do because in the end once it comes time for playoff hockey you know every game matters at that point in one week, you could be out just like Tampa.
0: I'm really glad you pulled that info. I mean, that's, that's a great stat that those 12 games uh, are, are going to be, quote-unquote, easier games. What you need to see from the team in these games, though, is what you saw today. Beatdowns. They can't be even remotely close games. You want if there's 12 <clears throat> games, you got to win 10 of them, and you got to win them by two, three yep. goals. And that that's the team you need to be because you don't want to be facing these weak teams. They soften you up, and suddenly you know you're used to this slower, softer version of hockey heading in the playoffs. So if they're going to be clicking and firing on all cylinders, they're going to have to be beating these teams down.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think it's sort of you know something that we don't really take into account when you look at something like that is just how physical this beginning of the season has been for the Avalanche. When you're playing these better teams every single night, it's sorta it's hard it's you know, it's they're hard hitting games. You know, game number 48 of the season was that St. Louis Blues game and that was a you know, like we said, a playoff atmosphere type of game. So then you start to go into games like today where you're sort of able to keep the foot on the pedal a little bit, fine-tune, work on some things, and not be as stressed, as nervous and play a physical brand of hockey. And that's going to be very important. The good thing about that as well is the Avalanche end their season on a stretch where they're going to be playing tougher teams in the division. The St. Louis's, the Winnipeg's, who's going to be fighting for playoff lives, Arizona, Nashville, and Edmonton. Those are all teams that are going to probably be fighting for their playoff lives, and those are their last six games of the season. So it's good to see that they're going Mm -hmm. to sort of go through a stretch where they're playing these easier teams can fine-tune and then coming into these last two weeks of the season playing some desperate teams playing some desperate teams playing some good hockey, hard hockey leading mm-hmm. you right into the playoffs. That's
0: a great point. Yeah,
1: I love that. Another thing I think that needs to be
0: kind of uh I guess just kicked up a notch is the goaltending. Yep. I want to see one of these guys take the reins. Obviously yeah. Grubauer is still the number one guy, but I wouldn't say he's taken the reins just yet. I mean, there's still a lot of iffiness around him. I don't know if he's still battling through an injury, but it, the shutout was great, but he didn't have to work too hard for it. You want to really see him just say, "This is my net." When we have a big game, there's no question who's going. Because what I saw from Franzuz today, I love Franzuz. I've been pounding the table for Franzuz since he got here. But that shows me that there's still a lot of weakness in his game, especially if he's not seeing those consistent shots. He needs to be able to be, you know, that that goal from Larkin in the third period. You pointed yeah. out that was the first goal from or the first shot on goal from the Red Wings all period. I think that came 12 something yeah. left in the in the third period so yep. he needs to be able to get to that nhl level of just being hot all the time and i haven't seen either of these goalies be able to do that yet
1: yeah francis has really lost a lot of confidence today was his first win since december 23rd against vegas on the road um so he's sort of had some stinkers if you want to call him that over these last little while obviously the avalanche playing I love in front name, of him actually yeah stinkers. <laughs> the avalanche <laughs> playing in front of him haven't done the best job either Grubauer, I think this is the time for him. He sort of his, – his demeanor, I'm telling you, ever since that Dallas game where he sort of brushed off all the critics, it was kind of like everybody needs to chill. I'm going to take this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to handle it. And – People didn't know whether to criticize him for his comments or really just, you know, it was basically a put-up-or-shut-up moment for Grubauer. And he came up and he put up a shutout. And then he put up a victory against the best team in the Western Conference in regulation. So I think this is going to be the time for Grubauer to really take the reins. Yeah, Uh, This is about the time when he started to take the reins from Varlamov last year. He went on that crazy run in March. But it is going to start now. And Grubauer, you know, if you want to win playoff games – between the goalies at the Avalanche have in the system right now, these two and the guys in the minors, Grubauer is going to be the one to do it.
0: Well, what was the question surrounding Grubauer the whole time? It was, can he do it for an entire season? Well, this next 33 stretch is kind of where he yep. you know, transgresses that 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 mark, right? Yeah. So um, it's balls in his court. It's time for him to put up or shut up, just like you said, and it's prove-it mode for him. Is this – are you capable of carrying a team for this whole season? Because now's your time to shine. It's a, it's, it's basically go time for Philip Grubauer from here on out. So, let's keep a heavy microscope on him, both on this podcast and just as a AVS media and fans alike. Let's be, let's be, let's be hard on him because this yep. is, this is the time this is that his he time. needed it. Yeah. yeah, he's
1: he's played 29 games and Franzus has played 20. I don't think anybody expected it to be that much of a split mm-hmm. at this point of the season. And then obviously you have a couple with uh anton bibo and adam werner in there but i think over this next uh 33 games you should expect probably about 20 to 23 starts for grubauer and for his sake you want to win about 16 of those games you want i'm going
0: to expect that yeah because that's who he was brought in to be that's who he's supposed to be and he's come he's told us all that with more playing time i'm going to be better so here it is prove it you know
1: I mean at this point of the season he's 14 10 and 4 he has a 910 save percentage and a 282 goals against average those are all below his uh, career numbers those are actually below what he had a season ago with the Avalanche when uh, he had a 264 goals against average and a 917 save percentage so if he wants to get back to that level he's really got to take the reins and I think for him the You know, the magic number, the number that he really wants to hit to sort of prove that he's a starting goalie is to reach that 30 win mark. Mm -hmm. He's at 14 right now. He's going to need 16 more, Um, you know, but 14 wins, all things considered in 29 games, is not a lot, especially on a team that has a plus 36 goal differential and is second in the West and sixth in the NHL. 14 wins in 29 games is not a good season. It's kind of, you know, it's got to be relative to your team. I was actually joking about it in the press box earlier today. Yeah, Jimmy Howard coming into this game on a very bad team is 217 and 2. Now he's 218 and 2. But their backup goalie, former Av Jonathan Bernier, all things considered on a bad Red Wings team, he's 10 12 and 2. That's not bad for a team that has, you know, that's on pace to record 40 something points. Mm-hmm. So for a team that's on pace to put up over 100 points, 14 wins in 29 games is not that good he needs to win about 15 or 16 more and really really hit that 30 game uh 30 win mark before the playoffs and then you know start to catch that same groove that he caught last year going into it.
0: Yeah, and you know you're nervous a little bit about workload especially if he's been juggling an injury this season which you know he m- might still be feeling. We don't know, but I'm not asking for vesna numbers, just need that consistency yeah. game in, and in game out to just have somebody to rely on, not have these goofy goals that go in. You well, know, playoff yeah. time, you can't afford those goofy goals.
1: I mean, in the end, he's he started 29 out of 48 games. If he starts, what did we say there's left? 33 games are remaining in the season. If he starts 22 of the 33, so you know two-thirds of the games, that brings him to 51 starts. It's a career high, but that's about where you want your mm-hmm. starting goalie. But of those 51 starts, can your starting goalie on a team that's putting up 100 wins, can he win 30 games? It's sort of something that you'll expect out of your starter, and it's sort of something that you hope for his sake and for the avalanche's sake because going into the playoffs, you don't want to be juggling two goalies. That's not an easy thing to do in the playoffs. You want one guy to take the reins. We saw last year Carolina had Mrazek and they had McElhinney sort of juggling – through these goalies the entire season, and then once the playoffs came around, they had to make their choice. They went with Morazic, and it turned out to be a hell of a choice. The Avalanche need Grubauer to be that guy heading into the playoffs and really be on his game.
0: Right, there could be no questions surrounding 100%. it. 100%. With you. Um, last thing I need to get fine-tuned, not so much as an imperative thing, just more of a not-so-fun fact surrounding the Avalanche right now, is Nathan McKinnon from the faceoff dot is just Jeez. getting killed.
1: I don't know I don't know how he was he used to be a pl- uh, over 50 percent faceoff guy, and then in 2017,18, he evolved into one of the NHL's best and he got better at literally everything and then got worse at face-offs. He's become like a 42 or some brutal number like that percent face-off guy.
0: It has to be driving him crazy too, because you yeah. know his mindset he's a competitor. he wants to work on all things. I mean yeah. the dude shoots 100 bucks before anybody else <laughs> steps on the ice. so it's got to be aggravating for him. Hopefully that's something that gets figured out. Again, not exactly the biggest issue, yeah. but something you want to see a little bit better from an all-star center, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, and like it's not even that he's not winning many face-offs; it's that it's like it's an embarrassingly bad number of losses and face-off percentage in terms of wins that he's he's putting up every every game and every year at this point for the last three seasons. Yeah, and it's kind of why you've seen Landeskog take as many face-offs as him every game. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Landeskog was ever a center, but he's become one because. McKinnon just doesn't do a good job at the at, at the faceoff circle.
0: It's so peculiar. He could be great at every it's other really aspect of the game. It's really weird for
1: whatever reason. He yeah. just hasn't figured it out. This is his third season now in a row where he's posting these kinds of numbers, and you know, eventually, you'd think that this is something he'll pick up on.
0: Yep, yep. So in terms of fine tuning ahead of the playoffs, down the stretch here, that's kind of all I have. Anything you want to point out that needs to be tweaked, improved? You know,
1: that's about it. I I I do like that the Avalanche have been you know, have been relying on all twelve of their forwards every night and the twelve forwards tonight were all relied upon, even Kamenev who played a smaller role and then You have Donskoy who's coming back from injury. You have Wilson, who may or may not be back this season. We don't really know about him. And then I'd imagine the Avalanche will add a depth forward or two, maybe at the trade deadline, if not a bigger name like a Chris Kreider, maybe something like they did last year with Derek Broussard. So you're going to have a lot of options up front, and that's very good, and that bodes very well for a team that has the kind of skill that this team has. So, I mean, I think it's just those little things. At this point, we may be nitpicking one of the other things might be the power play. That's kind of been.
0: Well, special teams can always use improvement. Yeah, yeah, both sides of yeah. it. I mean, um, you know, that's I've, kind of just a broad.
1: Yeah, and I think that's what's playing a, a role in you know Ranton and having a bad season. And I do I, I do that. I say that using air quotes because he has 34 points in 33 games, which doesn't seem bad all things considered. But considering where he's been the last two seasons and the fact that he had 16 in his first 10. Thirty-four and thirty-three is not really the best.
0: Yeah, I think this break couldn't come at a better time for Miko Rantanen. One hundred percent, it's going to be huge for him to take yes. a step back, relax. You know, because I even I, we we mentioned a lot on the last podcast how we've noticed him be yeah. frustrated, visibly just, frustrated. Just get him I back to it enjoying.
1: Yeah, just get him back to enjoying hockey and being that fun, happy-go-lucky guy he is in the locker room and at practice and on the ice. And, yep, quit you slamming know. your stick and just start raising it in the air in celebration do what you're good at um
0: uh last thing before we get out of here i wanted to get a look real quick hearing anything you know uh, i know you've got your ear against against the ground are you hearing any rumors in terms of trade deadline once we get back from this break it's going to be one month trade deadline so that's kind of stuff's going to be picking up you know the avalanche are probably looking to be active anything you're you're hearing in terms of rumors
1: no, so in terms of rumors, there really isn't much that's being heard. I know at one point the guys on Sportsnet, Elliot Friedman, mentioned that the Avalanche were definitely in on Kreider, and we've seen that the Rangers have been scouting the Avalanche heavily, you know, lately, and the Avalanche are scouting the Rangers. and It could be Kreider. It could be someone else. Um But there are some names to keep an eye on. And it seems like every big name, you know, even back to when Taylor Hall was still on the block, it seems like every big name, the Avalanche have been mentioned. And that includes Tyler Toffoli, and that includes Chris Kreider, and that includes all these other guys that are sort of reaching uh, the last year of their contract. But you know how it is with the Avalanche. You know how it is with Joe Sackick. Everything's always very ho hum and quiet. And, you know, maybe they go out and get another rental piece and. And, and add to this team, or maybe they go out and do something like they did when they traded Volsky for Mueller and just sort of this out-of-the-blue trade for someone who's going to be a part of the future rather than just a one-year rental.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. you got to take every rumor you hear with a grain of salt because, like you said, Joe Saka keeps it close to the vest. I mean, I even remember a few years back when uh, Eric Carlson was on the trade block and I, Ottawa ultimately decided not to trade him. Dur- in mid-season, yeah. if you recall. And I remember asking Joe Sackick, did you kick the tires on Eric Carlson? And, you know, he just kind of chuckled it off and said, I kicked the tires on a lot of things. You know, yeah. like I, I, a always, lot of conversations are happening. You're had.
1: always looking, you're always checking. And and he's not spilling anything to anybody. So. Yeah, and I just, I don't know why. I feel like we're going to keep talking, just like we did about Taylor Hall. We're going to do the same thing about Chris Kreider. We're going to do the same thing about Tyler Toffoli and all these obvious names. And then the Avalanche are going to go off the board and do something Nobody completely out of the thing. blue. Yeah. And it's going to be some random guy where you're going to look and be like, yeah, that makes sense. One that came to mind today watching the Red Wings, even though he wasn't playing, Andreas Athenasiou. Mm-hmm. Will Sackick actually call Eisman and say, hey, let's make a trade, former rivalry guy that you know we played crazy hockey 20 years ago? Wow, the Red Wings making yeah. a trade with the Avalon. Could you imagine Athenasiou with the speed that he has and the ability that he has – Granted, he is a little bit of a defensive liability. He's like minus 7,000 this year on this bad Red Wings team. Um, But could you imagine his speed? He's one of the fastest in the NHL. He could give Connor McDavid a run for his money and the fastest skater. Somebody like that is completely out of the blue. His contract expires this year, but he's an RFA. That's something to keep an eye on. Mm -hmm. That's someone that, in my mind, no rumors behind this. This is purely me just speculating and thinking out loud. That's what I think is going to end up happening. Sakic's is going to pull a random name out of the hat like that. And it's just going to make so much sense.
0: If they did nothing, does this team still have a good chance? Are you still?
1: Yes, but at the same time, I don't think that's going to be what happens just because you very well know if the Avalanche lose in the second round again or if they get blown out or not blown out but upset in the first round or if they lose in the Western Conference, the word is always going to be if only they did something, they probably could have gotten farther. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the way we're going to look at things. You know, hopefully they don't go out and trade a first, second, and a third for a Thomas Tatar like Vegas did a couple years ago. Ends up helping scratching him. But it's always going to be what could have been for this season because the Western Conference has been sort of weak, because your Naturals and your Winnipegs are falling off, because nobody's taken a hold of the Pacific. It's literally the Avalanche versus St. Louis with a possibility of Vegas going on a run with their new coach. This is the time for the Avalanche to make a move, put all their chips on the table, and go balls to the wall and really make a run for the cup this year.
0: Just in my opinion, it's, it can't be you know somebody who makes an impact. It's got to be a draft pick, somebody with the Eagles. I don't think yeah. you want to tinker with this team at all.
1: You take any guy <laughs> out of there there's a chance the whole thing falls apart. Yeah, and in the end, if they end up taking a guy out, it might be a Kamenev, it might be a Jost, it might be one of those guys, or might be someone who's played a couple games this year, like a Connor Timmins, who you know, preferably you don't want to trade someone like that, but those are the pieces you're looking at. It's not even even in a Chushkin, like at this point, you can't trade that guy.
0: Yeah, I even feel like Jost might be a bit too far.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's, it's getting to that point, but at the same time, you don't want to sort of... You want to make sure you're doing you're doing enough to sort of give your team that extra spark that it needs. I mean, Derek Brassard last year was a pretty good pickup. I'm not going to lie. I mean, Mm -hmm. even, even though he didn't provide as much offense as you wanted, it was still one of those things where you bring in a new guy, he joins the team, he scored in his first game, against his former team and like you just get that extra jolt from bringing in someone at the deadline and that that might be where Tampa Bay went wrong last year they didn't bring in a guy at the deadline to sort of come in and have that extra flair that you want out of someone and I think it's very important to do that because you know especially let's use my example again if you bring in a player like FNACU who's playing on the Red Wings who's stunk for the last three years and He doesn't have the best relationship with them. It's a very Ryan O'Reilly with the Avs type of relationship where he held out of his contract, took him to arbitration, and things sort of went sour. He's probably not going to resign there. If he does, he's probably going to get traded eventually. If you take a player like that who has scored 30 goals in the past, is as fast and as skilled as he is, and has been stuck in this frustrating rut, and you put him on a team like the Avalanche, What do you think this kid's going to do? He's going to come in his first game and just go all in. He's going to come in and put in a great performance and play a great game, and that's what you want. You want that Energizer bunny, especially considering what I just said earlier is the Avalanche are playing 12 games against these lower teams. They're sort of going to go into cruise control. It happened last year. Rantanen had 70 points in 47 games last year. McKinnon had 70 and 48, and neither of them hit 100. So – you're sort of as the season goes on. You go into a lull. You need to bring somebody in, preferably from a team that's not in the playoffs. that's going to come in, get excited that he's on a team that can actually win a cup, and come in and bring that fire and bring that flare and energize the locker room. So, I mean, at this point, you have to do a move just simply for that, just to make sure you don't go into the playoffs on cruise control. Mm-hmm. I just there's something about it that
0: I'm really nervous about putting in a guy that might not fit in or taking out a guy that is. Part of the pulse of the locker room that's my my biggest worry so as long as you're you know focusing and yeah remem- remembering that those are kind of big parts of a team that can you know sway the way a team kind of performs then they'll be fine but they have to remember that yeah
1: and you do have a point and i'll use the example i just i just used a minute ago about the vegas golden knights excuse me a couple of years ago when they brought in thomas tatar from detroit he didn't really work out. Mm-hmm. They gave up a bunch of draft picks for him, which they you know, had a bunch of from the expansion draft. But Tatar didn't work out. What did they do once the playoffs came around? You're not working out. Sit in the press box. You're not going to ruin what we have going. This, this team that came in a bunch of uh, castoffs and nobodies that we got from everybody else through the expansion draft and through trading – and they just said, you know what, Tatar, sit on the side. And if that's what ends up happening, that's okay. But you just don't want to be bringing in a guy like in a fantasy or a Tafoli or Kreider and giving up so much that when he's sitting on the bench, you're like, damn, that hurts.
0: Yep. Joe Sakic's just made so many stellar moves yeah. in the recent past. That it's almost like he's due for a bad one. So I'd, I'd hate for that to be this season and just yeah put a halt to all the momentum yeah. that they've built. But no matter what happens, we'll be here to break down the trade or yeah, no for trade. Sure. And, and we'll be here to give three stars of the week, just like we do every week and like we're going to do right now. Three stars of the week brought to you by me. Star number three, I'm going to give it to Ryan Graves. I love what I just what I've been seeing from him it's on both ends guy. of the ice. Yeah. I love the subtleties in his defensive game. He's really a smart player, really knows when to make a decision, and, and, you know, stands by it. I love what I've been seeing from Ryan Graves. That goal today against the Red Wings just – is something he deserves. You love to see a, a, a defenseman just snipe it clean from the blue line. Didn't touch anything. Untouched. From a
1: stick to the mesh. You love it. Yeah, he's he's just been awesome all season. You can see the evolution in his game, the confidence. And Bednar, somebody asked Bedner in the in the post game today, is Ryan Graves basically a top two defenseman now? And he said, Yeah, that's what he's been playing with us. He's playing with Kale McCarr and he's playing a lot of minutes. I told you he played the most against the Blues, a very very hard opponent, Um, and he's just having a hell of a season. Mm -hmm. He signed a one-year show me contract for seven hundred and something thousand dollars, and he's going to get paid this year and deservedly so.
0: Yeah, I mean he's on the ice with the big guns. That that was the starting lineup today. Him and Kale McCarr, along with McKinnon, Rantanen, and Landeskog. So, him being a part of that group of five, you know, he's I would say the odd man out in a sense, but he's living up to it. He's playing yeah. the way he needs to be with, the, with those other four.
1: Yeah, and he's being credited for it. Like you said, today his goal was a great goal, and mm-hmm. he's been bringing those flashes of brilliance almost nearly every day now, every game.
0: Yep, yep, hard work brings success. Star number two. Got to give it to this guy, Tyson Jost, just because we called him out last week in the podcast. And, you know, him scoring that goal, you could see how much it meant to him. He celebrated it so hard. He skated right past Burakovsky, didn't even want to hug him. He's like, nope, let me do my celebration here. I got to drop down to a knee. (laughs) And you saw it pay off, just like we mentioned earlier. When he's playing well, the confidence is just so obvious in him. And, you know, I think for this week, he deserves one of the stars of the week from us.
1: He had four shots in the first. He finished the game with five. He had an assist. Bednar credited him and gave him a compliment after the game for having such a great game. And, um, you know, I think what people need to do with Tyson Jost, and by people I mean myself included, is bring those expectations down. He was a top 10 draft pick. People right away were like, oh, this is the next Ryan O'Reilly, and this is the next Jonathan Taves. He's one of those full 200-foot uh, game centers that's going to score 60 points and he was going to school at no deck where Jonathan Taves played and it was just it made a lot of sense good Canadian kid came from a great family a lot of leadership skills but when I see Tyson Jost I think of Sam Bennett in Calgary Sam Bennett was that fourth overall pick he had all these expectations to be a top scorer and He didn't really find his spot on the Flames until those expectations were lessened to something that's more feasible and reasonable. And then we saw what Bennett did last year in the playoffs. He was a great player for the Calgary Flames. He had that Lanny McDonald mustache going on, Mm -hmm. which kind of looked funky. But Mm -hmm. he was a great player. He was a great asset and a bottom six player and a good one at that. So if that's what ends up being what Tyson Jost is in order for him to have a spot on this team – then so be it. He's not going to be the player that the Avalanche expected when they signed him, but that doesn't mean he cannot be effective on this team. Yeah.
0: Tyson Jost is very much the kind of the red-headed stepchild of the team. that yeah. Everybody likes to say, ah, he's terrible, trade him away. If, and a very big if, he can keep playing the way he has the last few games. Then he's, he's going nowhere. He's going nowhere. Yeah, absolutely not. He, exactly. Star number one, you're going to love this. Another guy we called out that needs to play better, Nazem Kadri. Two goals today against the Red Wings and... You know, you and I had a quick conversation about how he has been, he'd he kind of been struggling in the last six games. Yeah. And, and then, I made the point to say maybe it's because he's skating with Nachuskin right now. I mean, Nachuskin's playing hard, he's playing well, but he is what he is. I don't think he's quite second line material. So for Kadri to kind of have to be carrying that
1: line, what he did today, I was really impressed with. And, you know, you got to just love Kadri overall. Gotta love the way he plays. He's always there to stick up for his team, he's always the first one to to throw a big hit or to come in and step in someone's face and he's also got 17 goals second most on the avalanche one more than he had last year (laughs) in a full season he's also uh his penalty minutes are way up which i love because that's the game he plays uh he also had an assist he's got three points today and he's just i can't stress enough and not just me, all of us. We cannot stress enough how important that acquisition was this summer to really solidify this team. Finally, they have a clear second line center, and then it makes the other two lines easier to put together. You're not stuck in this awkward a Soderberg, a second liner, a third liner, mm-hmm. a second liner. It really stabilized right. there's everything. no
0: question. That Absolutely. acquisition
1: stabilized the entire Avalanche roster and I'll say that, you know, through and through from now until game 82 to two and into the playoffs, that was the biggest the biggest thing that they needed was that second line stability at the center position and you know, it's proving to be exactly that. He's the second highest goal scorer on the Avalanche behind McKinnon.
0: Now if he can just get Donskoy back on his wing. I think that'll help him. You know, out he's like the forgotten one now
1: after missing six games. And it's just crazy to think of how much skill this team has. And Colin Wilson hasn't played in what seems like forever. And just, it's crazy how great of a team this is. And they have the most salary cap. Like, I don't know how Sackick pulled it off, but. It almost seems like they're, they're
0: starting to kind of limp through the season. One guy goes down, another one comes back, another one comes back, another guy goes down. It's just, it's you'd like to see some. some yeah. certified healthy players yeah. out there.
1: But with, with the amount of depth that they have, it's okay. It's been okay. You know, you don't want TJ Tynan and uh, Logan O'Connor playing, you know, third line minutes like they had to at one point of the season but I think it's fine for now as long as it gets to the point where before the playoffs begin you're able to roll the four lines the way you want them heading into the playoffs and if that means adding a Kreider or Toffoli or Tennessee or whoever to those lines is being able to form those lines heading into the playoffs rather than a bunch of guys coming in the last day of the regular season and you're like oh where do we play you we don't know and then game one is like a test run Mm -hmm. so I do agree with you in that sense but this team is just loaded it's it's crazy to think of how far they've come since 2017
0: honorable mention for the three stars of the week is both Avs and red wings fans you can feel in that building God, there were a handful it. of De- detroit God, fans I love but it. the rivalry still there's still some life in it there's the red always. wings suck chance were great you could tell the fans
1: wanted blood are you disappointed there was no fight I'm not disappointed because I would rather the Avalanche don't fight the team that's on pace for 40 points and <laughs> risk getting hurt. Um, but you can just tell. Like if, Everybody if, wanted if it. You're, if you are an Avalanche fan or you follow the Avalanche and you're not rooting for the Red Wings to get the first overall pick and become a powerhouse like they once were, then you're just not doing this hockey thing right. Uh, there was that play in the second period where Jimmy Howard made a save and then sort of uh, JT Comfer and Giovanni Smith came together in a little bit of a scrum, and the place erupted. Yep. Like they, you it erupted the way that it, it used just to. a erupt.
0: minor scrum. Yeah.
1: It erupted the way it would erupt when like McCarty and Lemieux would drop the gloves yeah. and you know things are about to go down. It was just a minor scrum with a couple of face washes and the place went nuts. People wanted People it. People wanted it. And if, and like I said, if you're not, you know, rooting for the Red Wings to become a great team again, led by Iserman and the Avalanche are a great team led by Sacking, then you're just, you're not doing this hockey fan thing right. The story writes itself. And as
0: you vocalized in the press box, if you're booing Tyler Bertuzzi, you're
1: be better. <laughs> you're doing things wrong. People kept mentioning in my mentions that it's because of the little uh the kerfuffle while, he had yeah, with Calvert, Calvert off the bench at that game. No, at, it's not. At that game at LCA last no, year, but it's not. No. But then I pointed out that the Avalanche at the end of the 28 season, 2018 season in March, they played Detroit. Uh it was an afternoon game at the Pepsi Center and they booed Tyler Bertuzzi. 6 months later he had that whole thing with Calvert. So maybe it had added to it. Maybe that's why, but people are booing Tyler Bertuzzi because of the name on his back and because he's the nephew of Todd Bertuzzi. And, you know, I'm not going to be the the guy that's going to stick up for Todd Bertuzzi. I always had my opinions about him, especially growing up in Detroit and knowing what that you know what he had done in 2004, but be better. <laughs> Tyler Bertuzzi is not his uncle, um, and he had nothing to do with that thing, so let's just not boo him. <laughs> While we're at it, we should stop booing P.K. Subban, too. Yeah, that one's even weird, more... That's an, that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. That's a wrap for
0: this week's episode of Avalanche Talk. Uh, we'll still be giving them to you here during the break. Uh, hopefully yep. we could think of some good things to yeah, say. Yeah, for sure. Um, other than that, thanks for hanging out with us. We're going to wrap up with uh, Nathan McKinnon, like I said. That's all for me. Eric, you got anything?
1: That's about it for me. The Avalanche are, uh, like we said, we're going on their all-star break and their bye week, and they come back to practice on the 30th. So we'll get some more news for you then and hoping to have – Donskoy back, and other than that, enjoy the words from McKinnon, and we'll see you guys in a couple weeks. We out you. Beginning of their homestand, you guys lost two straight, but they were both in overtime. Suddenly, it's five straight games with a point. How do you guys feel going into the break now? feel good. I mean, you know, I think our record's been about 500 in our little drought, so, you know, we're second to the West. We're, we're trying to chase top spot in our division. And um, Obviously, it's never fun losing, we, but we, we're such a better team than we were last year. We, we were not going to go through that hurt horrid stretch like we did so um, we're feeling good next 30 games and how important is it to sort of win these games at home knowing that you're chasing first and hopefully home ice advantage in the playoffs yeah we need that i mean last two years we didn't get home ice and especially last year we felt like if we if we had game seven at home against san jose we could have won that and we get that's what we have to take care of now not going through lapses like we did last couple of weeks and we're back on track and points in five six straight so we're feeling good so.